Hello and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Arsalan Shirazi. You guys are going to love this one. Arsalan is the quintessential multi-hyphenate artist. He's an actor, writer, rapper, and guess what? A lawyer as well. He's the founder of Entitled Artists, a media and entertainment company that develops film, series, and music for millennials with a focus on first-generation stories. His debut project was the feature film On and Off Again, which has two sold-out screenings at the Mosaic Film Festival and has amassed 4 million minutes of viewership in less than a year on Amazon Prime Video. Quite the feat. Arslan has also wrote, directed, and played the lead role of Sammy, as well as served as the film's executive producer. He has also released alternative hip-hop under the name Entitled, and his latest track, Millennial Woman, boosts over 50,000 streams and 15,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So without further ado, please enjoy my wide-ranging, amazing conversation with Arsalan Shirazi. Arsalan, welcome to South Asian Stories. Samir, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. We are very, very excited about this, man. Just talking beforehand, uh, you have a lot of things that are going on that have done extremely well. And just, there's just so much to cover that we, that we're really excited to get into. But I want to bring it back to starting out with your background. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood growing up? Um, you know, being South Asian, a little bit about that. What, what was your childhood like? Uh, so I grew up in, uh, Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Canada, so the six, as uh, Drake has dubbed it, just a little bit outside in a city called Pickering, where my family lives. Um, and it was like a pretty, um, pretty fortunate first gen sort of middle class background. Like I grew up in a city that was predominantly Caucasian, but there was an influx of South Asians and and Caribbean people, like moving in around the time I was born in like the mid eighties. And um, just sort of growing up with a lot of those influences, like being that first generation, braving all the new things like school dances and, and, and the Fugees and like, you know, trying to pick whether you were a rocker or a rapper, even though you really liked all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Which is always that choice we had to make here. It's, you know, now everything on the same on the radio. But, you know, I laugh with my nephews. I'm like, yo, eight stations playing eight different things. That was how the music game worked back then. Right. Um, but yeah, it was like a really fortunate upbringing. My parents are immigrants from Pakistan. They went to London first. They came here, set up their own business. So I was working in a family business since I was like six years old. They run a travel agency, still do it. My dad works weekends. So, you know, you gain that from them. You gain being an entrepreneur from them. It sort of seeps into your DNA. But, you know, I was really fortunate to be born in, in an incredible city and an incredible country where, you know, you sort of had a blank slate to start carving out your own narrative. And it wasn't always the easiest process because you're navigating these two worlds. But you kind of were able to do that as you went along and figure out what you wanted to do. And, you know, now I'm into the art space a lot. But growing up, you know, you didn't, as a first-gen South Asian kid, you didn't really fully necessarily see that as a place for you to make your future. It seemed like it was somewhere for other people. Right. And carving your narrative, like that is something that uh, I think is a lot of people, 
you know, growing up South Asian, wherever you are, are struggle with, right? Because we have on one hand, the culture of, you know, your parents moved here, you know, they want success for you, your dad started that travel agency business for, for himself. Can you talk a little bit about how your creativity and, and your how you carved your creative space? How did that come up for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess like my first real foray into I've always I mean, I've always been drawn to the written word. I've been reading and writing as long as I can remember. I think it's like one of the most powerful gifts and privileges you can give kids growing up is just to like give them a love of reading and stories and like audiobooks and telling stories because like that imagination is so durable and versatile and like, you know, it gets there's so many ways that it can sort of get thwarted as you grow up as a kid but my parents were big on reading we'd spend weekends at the libraries like hardy boys and john grisham and you name it right i just read everything you could, i could get my hands on yep um and so like my first project like i guess it was like it kind of came about where i was like i had been doing like spoken word like poetry basically almost like slam poetry before that was a thing like at like the cultural shows in high school right where like everyone would go down the stage and like model show archimedes because like that was cultural and like kids hadn't seen that like white kids hadn't seen that they're like what is this what are you guys doing <laughs> um so i used to do like poem like readings like in front of the whole school i was like a big on public speaking and student council i think when i got into college in my first year i just had this kind of itch to do something you know, like a, like just the, the feeling of wanting to make something of my own and put it out there in the world was really pushing in me. Sure. And, um, you know, my first project was actually a non, a fiction book actually, which like I still get a little cringeworthy when I read it now. Cause I wrote it when I was 18, but it was called a sense of loss and I wrote it and it was kind of about like, you know, like there was a lot of gun violence happening in my city at that time and I was growing up I just got out of high school there was a lot of kids my age kind of running into issues and I sort of just wanted to envision that as like a fictional narrative and use that as a way to start a dialogue and I didn't see books like that kind of out there so I wrote it and I shopped it around to a lot of publishers and they were kind of like you know we like it but it's kind of not what we print and then I was like you know what like I just want to put this out there yeah so before self-publishing was kind of really a thing, I found like a little self-publishing company and I put some money together from what working at my parents, like working at the library and working at my school's business. And I just published, published my own book. And it was like, it was such an addictive feeling to know that like you could create something and then not only be the artist, but be the entrepreneur, like complete DIY, do this thing from start to finish and the feeling of doing something where I wasn't supposed to be or where I didn't belong. Like I got really addicted to that. So everything I did has kind of been a continuation from there. I think that was like my first real foray into this space. And even though I've taken on much bigger projects, the fundamentals of doing things at an early stage and learning and being willing to try, it's sort of like wired into how I approach every new project now, whether that's making a film, writing a TV show, a web series, Hip hop music, you name it. Yeah, I love that. And you know, you publish this by yourself, a sense <clears throat> of loss. You know, you say that it's your first creative foray. What was that feeling like for you? You said you got addicted to that feeling. Can you describe? You know, you finally get that out to the world. Can you describe that feeling a little bit more? Yeah, I think like I'm a huge believer in collaborating. And, you know, working through channels where you can get better at your craft. I believe, like, I think the 
only real superpower I have is the willingness to be really bad at stuff for a while right. until I can get good at it, right? Like, and be willing to develop a tough skin and know that, you know, like Hemingway said, you know, the first draft of everything is shit, right? And so like, it's a really liberating quote because it's just like, keep trying. But I think the feeling was that like, I didn't see the type of stories out there that I wanted sure. to read about people, characters like myself, like characters who had my experience of being like a first-gen high school kid, Pakistani, with different friends and having different experiences and seeing what being able to empathize with all these different sets of people, I wanted to create a story that reflected that, and I didn't see it. And even the publishers that were interested were like, well, we get grants to publish books about rural Ontario, which is awesome. That's a great narrative, <laughs> but it's not my narrative. It's right? not you. So yeah. I, and I looked at, like, even from a young age, like the the artists who I really admire were the ones who kind of took their creative career into their entrepreneurial hands. Like those are the ones who are around the longest. Like if you look at like Jay-Z, I mean, hip hop has a beautiful tradition of that, right? Guys like Jay-Z, Diddy, like even now, like guys like Nipsey Hustle, like they take their art and their business into their own hands. So they come to at it from a different point of power. So I just thought like, I want people to read this book that I wrote. Yeah. And so if the avenues aren't there for me to, to put this out, is there a way for me on a small scale without too much risk to put it out there and see if people like it? Because maybe a publisher didn't like it, but then we sold like four or 500 copies and I did all these like after school reading programs. So I'm like, okay, it's a learning process. Maybe I'll make money from it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll break even, but I'm going to get better every time. And we talked a bit about Tim Ferriss. Uh, and he talks a lot about like systems thinking, right? And process thinking where you do each project with the goal of gaining new skills and getting better. So that even if right. that project doesn't become quote unquote a success, like what does it set you up to do your next thing? And that's really, I kind of embrace that from that project because I was able to write something, have it published yep. and then be in Amazon and have it on bookshelves and go to schools and have kids read it and email it to me and tell me like, Hey, like I didn't really like reading, but I like this book cause it was about people like me. And now I want to join, I want to write something like that's, that was empowering for me. And yeah. I never lost sight of that, even though projects can take three, four years to come out, like that feeling of making something and then actually putting it out there. It's, I, I know it's not for everyone and I know the DIY your route is not for everyone, but for the people who it is, you see that in them. Like they love the ability to go to, to people and tell stories. Cause that's at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do. Like that's all I ever really do is I'm telling stories and narratives in everything I do. And I just want to tell as many of those as I can yep. before, you know, before I'm out of here. Yeah, and that on the whole theme of telling stories, you know, that that I think is so powerful. And that's why, you know, this podcast exists is telling the stories of, of people like <clears throat> you who are just breaking out and doing things that are different from the norm and different from, you know, what South Asians like us normally do. And I want to jump into that story that I thought was fascinating of how you turned down a hundred thousand dollar, I kid you not, one hundred K job offer of a, being a lawyer to do this, to be a creator. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and what that was like for you? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a very practical person. You can't grow <laughs> up the son of 
Pakistani immigrants who yep. run their own business. My mom literally had me open a bank account and make spreadsheet expenses when I was 11 years old. Like I'm about budgets. I'm about money. I'm about productivity. But what was happening was I always knew I wanted a strategic approach and maybe I can touch on that later, but like I really value my education, right? And I really value the ability to have a strong education for a lot of reasons, not just career reasons, but for what it opens up. But what I found was happening to me was like, I wasn't centering my artistic vision in my life. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. always doing it. I was always chipping away at it. But, you know, basically I did undergrad college and then I worked really hard. I was writing while I was in college. Then I got into law school while I was in law school, like submitted a couple scripts to like the nickel fellowship and I was writing and I was like performing in like sketch comedy shows at this law school. It was literally what I call the only course I took seriously in law school <laughs> was the sketch comedy show. <laughs> but like, um, and I got to this point where I got a internship year in, here in the common law system, they call it articling where you work for a year. And then after that you become a lawyer. Um, and I had gotten pretty much gotten offered a job and I'd worked really hard and I liked the firm and I liked the work and like I did, there was nothing wrong with it. There was just this feeling I had that basically I do this, I get to a point and then, you know, I was considering film school, then I went to law school and it was a good strategy and opened up a lot, but I just, I think I, I didn't have all the answers. I just knew that there was creative entrepreneurial things I wanted to do and I didn't want to put my head down, wake up four years later and be no closer to those goals. Yeah. So yeah. did I think I was going to get things wrong along the way? Of course. Was it easy to turn down a hundred grand when you pay for law school yourself, you're six <laughs> figures in debt from student loans and you don't really have a plan, right? Like you're, we grew up in South Asians. It's always planned school to school, yep. this thing, med school, That's I'm right. writing my GMATs, I'm writing my LSATs. Like you always got to have a plan because everyone would be like, yo, we didn't bust our asses to come over to this country. So you could not have a plan. Right. Preach. Like, right. Right. So I had a plan. But for me, I think this was something about having a big vision and, and trusting the details would work out for me. It was like, you know what? When I entered law school, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. I just felt that I had been doing a lot of research and it seemed like as an entrepreneur, if I wanted to be like the DIY type of entrepreneur that I like being the creative artist, having something as a foundation would be strong. But only if I made the brave decisions at certain points in times. And I didn't get lulled into a false sense of security. Like Paul Graham, the guy who runs Y Combinator, I literally read this article the day I was making my decision to turn that job down. And he wrote this beautiful article called How to Do What You Love, which I found on Brave Pickings. And it's literally, he talks about that. He's like, you know, this whole two track approach, because maybe the thing you love, you can make money from, you can't make, maybe it'll take a long time. What are some actual strategies to do what you love? And I thought that was brilliant. And I read another article from um, David Shore, the guy who created House, about how like his law degree kind of gave him the confidence to, he said, safety nets make failure irrelevant. So, But when I got to that point of that job, I said, this is that point where I have to make a real decision, where I can't just do things in the safe way. There are moments in time where you have to make hard, unclear, unsafe decisions. Uh, they don't have to be every day of your life, but I think they have to be moments in time where you can't hide from what it is you want to do. So for me, it was just like, if I take this job, I think whatever dreams I have of writing this movie, I just seen tiny furniture. I saw what Lena Dunham had done. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever I want to try, I'm not going to do it if I take this job. Yeah, I might even take a job two years from now. But if I take this job at this moment, this dream will die. So I didn't. And I, and I turned it down. 
And I literally like got on a plane and moved to LA for a few months just to like be in an environment where what I wanted to do mattered. Just to like, not even to necessarily stay there or like, you know, I didn't really have a plan. I literally just booked a ticket and went there, booked a couple classes and joined an acting studio and was just like immersing myself in a space where I felt, until I felt confident enough to figure out what it was I wanted to do. That is incredible. And uh, there's so many good points I want to touch on here. And you talked a little bit about the bravery, that moment of making a decision to turn out, turn down that lucrative job offer, getting on a plane to LA. You know, a lot of people listening and, you know, throughout the, you know, the, their lives have those moments where they have to make a decision. Am I going to go down this, this path? The, the the true path that's for me that's uh, you know it's 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 what I want to do versus the safe path of something that I've been working towards you know and what I'm expected to do. So many people are especially South Asians are are in, in that quandary. What did what was that self talk like? You know you mentioned a couple articles you read, but how did you pull the trigger, pull the plug to say I'm going to do this? Can you talk about what was going through your head? Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of life is like preparation and trust, you know? Yeah. Like I'm a big I'm a big fan of Brené Brown actually, and I listened to her audiobook The Power of Vulnerability, and she talks a lot about like how actually people who are very intuitive, it's not just like completely your gut. It's like a combination of like thinking and researching and talking in your gut, like it's somewhere in the middle of that. So I think one of the things that did give me surety was like, all right, my goal as a first gen kid, like I'm very fortunate. I came from a pretty middle class background. I never went hungry a day in my life, but nobody was going to pay my bills. Nobody, it like doesn't come from our culture. Like no one was going to pay for me to go to film school. No one was going to pay for me to try and move to LA on my own. So a big part of becoming a lawyer was like, I want to be able to stand on my own feet so that if being creative if becoming a full-time actor or an artist and writer, all these things takes me like 10 years, I want to be in it for the long haul. That yeah. was a big part. So when I got that degree, I was like, you know what? Maybe this job won't be around. Maybe something else will come up, but I'm not going to starve. So I had given myself the opportunity to explore options. That was one thing. And two, I think the biggest thing, which I wasn't even the greatest at at that time, I still have to work through. The biggest thing I want to say to people who are like, trying to figure out something artistically, you're trying to figure out a career transition, maybe you want to launch a startup, like be okay, like just learn how to say, I'm figuring it out. I'm exploring some options because the pressure, I think especially for South Asians, is like if you go off the beaten path, right, then you're wrong and you haven't figured it out and you're wrong. But how many like friends do we have who pushed all the way through and now they're doctors and they're burning out and they don't like it and they yeah. leave anyways, right? Or they got married and they didn't necessarily know that they that's what they wanted but you know there's so much pressure on girls in our communities to get married young and and then all of a sudden like you're married and you found out this is not what you wanted that you wanted to go to school that you wanted to do something different so i think like those two things like giving myself options sort of safety nets quote unquote i know they're really unpopular in the whole failure fear like culture where it's like you got to dial in but like we're in a different economy where I think it's okay to give yourself things that allow you to keep creating because that should be the end goal. The goal should be to keep pursuing what it is you're doing, keep creating podcasts, creep key. And so having options and then being willing to be in that uncomfortable place, which is not the easiest to say, I don't know. 
Like I'm a career student. I was literally in school until I was 25 <laughs> years old. Literally, it was exam to semester to summer break. When I left that job, that was the first time in my life where life was kind of a blank slate. And how many of us to that happened to? It is okay to take a year off after high school. It is okay to maybe decide you don't want to do college and try something else for a little while. You know what I mean? It's okay to get like a steady nine to five and write at night. It's like just be okay with figuring it out as long as you're making movement, even if those steps are one a day. Yeah, that is an amazing piece of advice. Having those layers of safety, but having the bravery to know at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is not really the worst case scenario, right? I will, if everything goes to shit, I will always have this backup plan. And if that goes to shit, I can always go back and live with my parents, right? Not many, yeah. not many people. No, look, yeah, yeah. I, I literally did that. I was like, okay, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about leaving this job and literally like explore. I really wrote myself a business plan. I think I wrote it to try and convince my parents, but I literally have a business plan I wrote when I was like 26 to like make an argument to convince myself why it wasn't the end of the world to leave this job because it was scary. It was a real scary thing. The easy thing to do would have been taking the easy money on the table and do that and everyone would have been happy and no, would have been, no one would have been unhappy except me, right? Yeah. That's the person and I'm the person who has to live with. So I just wrote that plan. I said, look, I'm going to do this thing Worst case scenario, some things aren't going to work out. A lot of them did come to fruition that way, but a lot of things didn't come. It's usually, this is life. Usually, usually it's something in the middle. Usually it's not the crazy, incredible result you thought, and but it's also not the worst. It's usually something in the middle. And if you keep stacking up enough in the middles, that crazy result will probably come around sometime. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about that. Like, you know, you get to LA, you know, you made the decision, you got, you know, your bags packed, you take some acting classes. What happens next? You know, what, what got you to kick off your creative, your, uh, you know, your career in, your acting? Uh, and, you know, what happened after you got to LA? Yeah, I think, you know, LA was a great experience because for me, it wasn't, I'm going to LA and I'm going to make it at all costs. For me, it was, and again, I think this just comes from my approaches. If something is an opportunity, I just want to explore it. You know, I kind of work from the process of elimination, which can kind of sometimes be overwhelming when there's a lot to choose. But I was just like, look, I have all these different ideas about how I'm trying to make my life work because I had this other part of my life. I had this law degree. I knew it was something that was going to act as a foundation. I knew that I was really interested at the end of the day in like filmmaking and like making, it's like I'm very project oriented, right? And sometimes people will try and box me in. I say, look, there's, I'm kind of like Neil Gaiman gave this great commencement speech, which I love. He's like, look, I don't have a career. I didn't envision a career. I just had a list of things I wanted to do. And so at that time in my life, the thing I really wanted to do was I was like, how cool would it be if I like wrote a script and then like made that entire movie and was in it? Like that was really cool. And I didn't know if that was a thing. And then I like saw tiny furniture and I was like, ah, oh, this is like amazing. Like this person just went out and did it and it could have just been another festival movie but it also turned into this incredible project so for me when I was in LA I was just like I'm gonna give myself permission to just figure things out you know to not drive so hard so if I'm here in LA and I really like it and I think like with this little bit of money I got saved up and set aside from working that I'm just gonna try and stay here at all costs and try and make it an act and stuff like that if that's what I want to do I'll stay but if I get here and I find out like that's not for me and maybe there's some in between, then that's what I'll do. And so while I was there, I went to an acting studio. I took rice cream. I just like immersed myself in the creative process. 
and felt like, hey, this is like something I'm actually good at, giving myself that confidence, feeling comfortable. And then when I left Toronto, I felt like the people who I was around at that time didn't really fully understand my artistic side. And when I got to LA, a lot of people didn't really understand my sort of entrepreneurial side. And they were like, oh, like what you got to do is just like stay here and like sleep on people's couches and like work in a coffee shop. And I'm like, yo, no disrespect to that. But like I have a law degree, like I have savings, like I could I could find a path that works for me. And I think at that time what I really wanted to do was just make that first project, make that first project, learn the crafts of writing and acting and filmmaking, collaborate, own something. And I felt like I could do that better in Toronto because that's where my resources are. So LA kind of put the wind in my sails and made me feel confident in myself. Yeah. And I think it's important to be around your peers. It's really hard, especially I, that's a piece of advice I give to South Asians. Like if you're trying to pursue something different, like you want a lot of venture, you want to leave your job or you want to, you know, start something artistic, you want to start writing, try and be around more people who are kind of doing that and not just career writers. Maybe people like yourselves who are writing as well as doing something else because those people will kind of show you that there's options out there. Whereas if you're just hanging around your career people, they might speak from a place of instability and fear where they don't want a lot of people. Okay, I'll say this and I don't mean to get off topic here, but a lot of people don't want to feel that they have a choice because very few of us in this world are privileged enough to actually fight for a type of career in life we want. We coming from the South Asian continent, you know, there's a lot of fortunate people. Here's a lot of unfortunate people. So if you're sitting in a place where a decision is made for you, like, oh, well, I can't uh, become a successful writer because my background, nobody can do it from my background, right? That's only something that non-South Asians do or non-first-gen kids do or people who don't have kids do, then that's good. The decision's made for you. You don't have to feel bad that you didn't try. So when you're trying to do something new and there's people like you, a lot of times they're going to discourage you because they don't want to feel that that option is also open to them if they're willing to make some sacrifices or try things or feel stupid for a while. Yeah. So that was great. So being in LA, being in Toronto, I sort of brought together all these different worlds and decided that the first project I really wanted to do was make this feature film and collaborate with people in my city and the movie that eventually became On Again, Off Again, which was my first project, which I took a long time. And I'm super proud of. Yes, tell us a lot about that. You know, on and off again now, future on, on Amazon. You know, you—that was your baby, right? You tell us like what that story was like of putting that together, because most people see the end product, and uh, I sure a lot of people once they hear this will start will want to watch it um, online. But tell us the backstory behind it. What what was that like creating that? Yeah, on again, off again. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video. We just crossed over film four million minutes of viewing in under a year. Congratulations! Which has been crazy. Yeah, thank you. Um, look, to be honest, so like I think that was one of the things is when I was out in LA, I was trying to consider, and I think this is where kind of having sort of the entrepreneur DIY background sort of helped. Was I was look like okay, like I'd worked, I'd set aside some savings, and I kind of had this little pot of money that I could put into something, you know. And I knew that I was keeping that apart. And I was like, well, like, could I write some type of movie that I could make myself with the right people working with me on the team? You know, like a micro budget that we could make for this. And I was writing all these script ideas in this screenwriting class. And they were all kind of cool ideas. But it seemed like at the what I was trying to do was like tell this outer story, you know, of like all these different things. And then each movie basically had this inner story of like a complicated relationship. Uh, I had been through one myself and then, you know, when you go through like an on again, off again relationship, I feel like people who can 
have been through one, like they immediately get it. Cause if you start telling them, they're like, Oh, I did that. People who haven't done it, they're like, this sounds ludicrous. Like, why would you do this? But people who've been through it, just understand that like sometimes, sometimes more than one person you have, we have these real, it's like a very millennial phenomenon. I think, I don't think it's exclusive to us, but I think it's part of, and I think especially for first gen South Asian kids, we're dealing with so many pressures, right? Like career pressures, life sure. pressures, cultural pressures, religious pressures. And so I went through kind of these sort of kind of like relationships where you're not leaving each other, but you're not with each other. And then I was kind of embarrassed about it when I went through mine. And then the more you open up to people, you're like, man, a lot of people have gone through this. So I was like, you know, this is kind of a cool story. It's something I could write sort of from my own experiences. But then also the people I'm collaborating with, like I had a co-director and co-writer named Biko Franklin. I had a producer named Mike Lickfer. Um, and they when they read the script and they were guys like me who hadn't done a feature before but had all the skills and were like, man, like this is the type of story I've been through. I want to tell this story. So I think it all started from there. Like when I got back from LA, I literally hunkered down and I basically like obviously so overambitious. Like you're like, yeah, I'll make this movie in a year. No problem. Five, <laughs> year, five years later, it took me six months just to get a half decent script. But I basically set this goal that no matter how bad it was, I got back to Toronto, I think in the December of whatever it was like 2012 and I sat and I said for 30 days I'm not going to give myself anything to hide behind I'm going to hunker away in this place called the writer's room they took the concept from New York they brought it to Toronto it was a really cool place and I'm like I'm just going to finish a script I don't care how bad it is I want something done that I can show to people and work off of and that story just kind of emerged from that I was really influenced by movies like like crazy 500 days of summer these really offbeat movies. And I was like, yo, I want to make a movie like that, but I want the characters to be brown. I want them to be first gen. And I don't want it to be about the fact that one's from India and one's from Pakistan. I I want their culture to matter, but I don't want it to be the exclusive thing. I had this guy read the script. He was a Caucasian guy, really nice guy. I was talking to him about potentially getting involved in the project. And he's like, I think your movie needs to be about culture or not about culture. And I was like, see, that comment comes from being the dominant culture. That's what I want to change. Because for you, anything that's not Canadian, like second, third generation, quote unquote, white Canadian culture, it's not something that I can interweave into the narrative. And so that was like, oh, that was like, I'm definitely making this movie now. Yeah. And so it started with that script. And then it's like, I knew what I had. I knew how much sort of money I had. I knew the script. And then I was like, I'm going to find dope people to work with. And I literally just went through Toronto. It's an incredibly creative city. And I really was fortunate. I met with a lot of people and was able to find some key people to work with. And everyone who worked on the project was incredible. They're just hungry to work on a really authentic story. I love it. I love it. And, you know, you you mentioned it took five years to get you uh, to to the place you are now. And, you know, you you wanted to finish it in a year and it took you a lot longer than that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Sorry, go ahead, please. No, I, I'm just curious. Of, like, what surprised you about the process? You know, and what 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 did you learn about doing this? Because I know what I love is about you is like you're in the weeds and you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves and say, "Hey, 30 days, I'm going to finish the script. Then I'm going to find the right people, but I'm going to make this happen." And it took you five years to get something, you know, amazingly, you know, creative and and where you wanted to. But talk about what surprised you about that process because I'm sure a lot of people don't know what goes on behind it. Yeah, I mean, I think like I was really teaching myself a lot of things from scratch and there's a lot of ways to go about doing this. I mean, I think I started writing that script in like 20, 
13 and like we distributed the movie on Amazon in 2017 and had like a festival release in 2016. So like almost like a three or four year process. And I think it's just like, you know, you show up. One of my favorite books is Steve Pressfield, Do the Work. You show up, you do the work, you keep doing the process, and then you just have to be willing to also let the process unfold on its own. So like, I think for me, it was like this macro idea I had, and this is why I talk about sort of this two-track approach and this hybrid approach. Like, It's not a be-all, end-all. It's not like, oh, you can only do art because you're doing art, or you can only do your other career, whatever it is, if you're doing that. Like, There's ways to kind of push and pull the pieces. So I got back to the city, and I said, okay, I have this little bit of pot of money okay, that I can put into making a movie. I know from what I've learned about producing in the last couple of years that I could make a pretty solid really high quality movie with the right people with this amount of money. But if I just sit here and it takes me a year to write this script and do all this stuff, I'm going to burn through that capital. So then, okay, maybe it might take me longer, but then maybe I'll start working part time uh, so that I don't burn up my capital. And then that sort of spurred into me starting my own law practice. So like, you know, I, you know, that funny drawing, everyone sees it on their Instagram where it's like what people think success looks like. And it's just like a straight line. And then it's like what success actually looks like. <laughs> it's and like it's like w- this wavy. crazy, yeah. curly, it looks like a <laughs> bag of curly fries. Like I really can relate to that because I think like, I think that's what it looks like for our generation. Like it's not a straight shot for us. Like it's, do you have to compete with things? School costs more, everything costs more. It's harder to make a living in being an entrepreneur. So you just got to find a strategy to keep going. So a lot of times, you know, there was pauses, there was slowdowns. I ended up taking extra jobs to make extra money to make the movie. Editing took like a year because we just really had to go through the process. It took a year of applying to film festivals. We got turned down from like 30, 40 before we got one. Like just the process takes long, but I do believe in the merits of like driving and setting objectives because then it, it propels that energy. You can't control how fast things will get done, but if you don't set those like hyper aggressive targets, you don't have that urgency to do something. You know, the fact that I was trying to get that movie done in a year, it obviously didn't get done in a year, but I got so far in that year because I really drove with that intensity. Yeah, no, that that yeah. is such a liberating point of view of just, you know, grinding and just saying, hey, I'm just going to keep working. And because and because I love that you have that strategic sense of I have these other things where I'm working on where I can push myself and you know invest in this in this creative outlet, invest in this movie, but I'm not, you know, I'm not tied 100% of my lottery winnings to this for this success to happen, right? And Yeah, I think Go ahead. So yeah, I think I mean like they always talk about business about diversifying your portfolio. Like I believe in commitment. Like the year, the the months we were filming and the year leading up to the couple of months leading up to that. Like there's times where there's where moving multiple projects and then you really got to have the one and run with it. But I think if you're strategic about it, it allows you to stay in the game for longer. And that's my mo. I'm not a child prodigy. I didn't like you know break out in Hollywood when I'm 50. I'm still an independent artist. But for me. I'm in this for the long haul and I've set up my life and my projects in a way where I can do this for the next 20 years of my life. And that's exciting to me because I will never stop creating because I've set up my life in a way where I can always be creative. I love that. I love that. I want to pivot to a, um, a, the, another part of your creative life. You're an actor, but you're also a rapper. You know, and that is, I think, one of the coolest parts of, uh, you know, your your background. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, you know, go by Entitled. 
talk a little bit about where that name came from and talk about how that part of your life uh, came to be. Yeah, I mean, I so I'm very fortunate because especially being both a creative entrepreneur, like an artist and running my own, you know, acting and writing. And I met so many creatives and artists. But then I also meet a lot of entrepreneurs from all the stuff I did running a legal practice, like for startups and stuff. And one of the things I just see is like, I just started, I wrote this rant once because I was just like, yo, where are all these entitled millennials everyone keeps talking about? Like millennials are making diamonds go out of business. And like, like, who are these people? Because like everyone I know is literally like working a full-time job and then they're like building a company on the side and then they have like another side hustle and they're like taking care of their family. Like those are the people I meet and that's my generation. I'm obsessed with it. Like those are the people who give me energy. And I was, it just seems like there's this narrative where like, oh, okay, well you want to be an actor, right? Oh, well you better not expect anyone to pay your bills. You better go do that yourself. You want someone to do that, pay that for you? No, I don't. So I'll go out there and I'll work. And I'll, you know, get a job and a career so I can pursue my dreams. And then when you get that job and you start doing other things like starting a podcast or starting a business or making movies, it's like, oh, you're so unfocused. Why don't you focus on your career? It's like you can't win. Right. So for me, I just started doubling down on this narrative. Like if building your dreams and choosing the life you want to live and fighting for it makes you entitled, then I'm entitled. I'm the most entitled person you will ever meet in your life because I refuse to settle for status quos when I've been fortunate enough to be one of the few people in the world who gets the opportunity to choose things like that in their life. I yeah. think it's a privilege and you have to use that. If the only reason you don't fight for the type of life you want and you don't bring the value you can bring into this world is because like somebody told you it's you know like ungrateful to do that, that is the ungrateful thing. Not trying. Wow. And you... So you, you, you write this rant, you, you say, hey, where are all these people they're talking about? Tell us the inspiration behind the first single, Millennium Woman, Get Loose. Like I listened to it and it's catchy as hell, man. I got to gotta say, <laughs> Thank I was, you. I was Thank jamming you. Yeah. out to it. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, the first, first one I dropped was a track called Starbucks Dreams which is sort of very much about this, like working late at Starbucks at your side hustle. <laughs> yeah. And it was really yeah. like, it's really resonated with a lot of people. And I'm really excited. I have a track drop in November 2nd called First Gen Kids, which is really literally what your show's about. So I'm excited about that one. Um, but I, yeah, like I had been, I'm one of those people and, you know, it's one of those things where people always want to put you in a box because there's this whole narrative of like, oh, well, if you want to, if you're doing all these creative things, like you can only, only pick one, and then you got to get really good at that. You got to be the best and you got to be Drake. And then once you're Drake, then you can start working on movies and stuff. Right. And I'm like, but well, what about the people who never become Drake? Like, will you never write a book if you never become a Billboard top 100 musician? Right. Like, that's ludicrous to me because how many people might try their entire lives and never end up being there? Like, should they not express themselves in all the creative ways they want? So for me, I have been one of those people who just thrives off of having multiple creative projects. Like, I really just am in love with people like Donald Glover, Issa Rae, Riz Ahmed, like the Kevin Hart, like people just work on a lot of stuff and get energy from those projects. So I had been writing tracks and working on hip hop sort of the whole time I had been working on the movie and running my law practice. Like it was sort of like a really great outlet. And I just really took my time with the craft because I wasn't in any rush to push it out. And so 2017 was when he started releasing some of our like some of my new singles and like 
I just love alternative hip hop. I love all kinds of music. I love trap music. I love, but I love the fact that there's a lot of artists who are pushing out fresh sounds, and that's really where I see my hip hop is representing that first gen experience within the mosaic of hip hop culture. Um, and so, yeah, like I'm really excited about it, and you know, like that track has had almost over sixty thousand streams now in like less than a couple months. It made it onto a a Sony playlist with tracks by Snoop Dogg and like Raekwon. So like, it's exciting to see people respond to that. And it's just like another piece of my artistic portfolio. I like to call it like I diversify my portfolio. I love hip hop and I take rapping just as seriously. as I take making a movie just as seriously. I take writing on a web series, whatever project I'm doing, I'm in it 100% when I'm doing it. Yeah. I love that. And you know, the story of like, being able to have different creative pursuits and how that doesn't have to take away. You know, I watched this show on HBO called The Shop and they have, you know, Drake is there, LeBron James hosted. Yeah. And in the latest that was episode, where they spilled the That's where they spilled the tea on the Pusha situation. That's right. Pusha's in the, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, well, we, and, I mean, everyone in Toronto saw that episode. You have to know <laughs> that we all watch everything Drake does here very closely. All yeah, right. So no, no but well, the, one of the people that w- was struck out to me was uh, a guy named Mo Bamba. He's a you know he went to UT Austin, where it's, uh, you know I went to school, sure. and he was a professional basketball player now. And he talked about when he was doing his going arounds and and you know interviewing oh. with with these uh, teams. They said, "Hey, man." I didn't realize how articulate you are, um, and you're, you know, interested in all these things, and you want to be a basketball player? Like, how can you do all of them? And he's like, why can't I? Like, why can't I do yeah. all these three things? Just because I'm a really good basketball player doesn't mean I can't rap. You know, Victor Oladipo was like, hey, I'm a singer, but I also play basketball pretty well too. You know, why can't we do both these things? And so that made me think of, you know, how, you know, you run your own law practice, you, uh, you know, you're a, an actor, you're a, a rapper, you know, you, 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 you help with, uh, you know, you started your, your entitled artist, your company. So you can do all these things and I, I will do the best I can do all of them. That doesn't mean I can only, don't have to do just one or other. I, I just, I just think that's just a really, really cool point. Um, yeah. I think, look, mastery takes time. Like mastery of crafts takes time. And I think you just need to know like what it is you're working on. But I think like, I approach things artistically and, you know, like I'm a big planner. I like track my time. I use Asana like all over the place. But like, uh, like I just believe that if you put time and continue to work at stuff and continue to get like, you're going to get better. Like the first song I ever wrote was garbage. Like, and I don't mean that in like a, it's just like the first time you start rapping, you're not going to be very good. The first scene you do when you start off a movie sometimes like, but if you're just willing to be uncomfortable and get better, then getting better is on the other side of discomfort most of the time, right? And That's I right. think there's very few things in life you can't get quite good at by continuing to put in the time. Like I, I can't dunk a basketball. I tried continuously. It's like a physical feat. I'm not going to be able to do it no matter what I do. But most other Same. things like you can put in the work and get good at. And that's just how I approach it. I, I move things forward and then certain projects – kind of take my attention for a while. And I like that. It makes me excited to get up every day because there's so much going on. Yeah. And to that point, what is something that you want to get better at? You talk about that process of constantly improving so you can get good on the other side. What is currently something that you're working on that you're trying to get better at? So that's a good thing. I think what I really, um, I've seen the value of building with people and find, so like you'll see on my movie, like, I had a co-writer and co-director and Beagle Franklin who joined up with me. Um, 
I like source beats from dope producers all over the world. Like for me, I think what I've really seen the value of is building a team and collaborating and letting everyone grow and shine at the same time. Um, and I think that's something that I've worked harder on this year is like, you know, you can get into a habit of like taking on a bit too much. So maybe it's streamlining or learning how to prioritize one project over the other. Like I wrote a pilot and a series Bible for a show that I'm really excited about, but I may sort of let that be a project that comes around a little bit later. Cause I'm working on a really funny comedy web series right now. And obviously, so, it's, so there's prioritizing. I think there's limits to your time, but I think for me, one of the ways I realized is that if I want to be someone who does a lot of different things, it's continuing to build with people, finding collaborators, finding the right publicists, right artists, right people to work with, to take your career as an artist as seriously as you would take any other business. Um, and I think one of the things that I've gotten better at, it's not always the easiest thing when you grow up like a type A South Asian kid who's like <laughs> wanted to be valedictorian when he got into grade two, you know, like it's just the way you start off, you start plotting for achievement. I think the arts really is a place where you learn to focus more on the joy and the process of creating and putting it out there. We all have dreams. We all have goals. We all have ambitions. And I think those are great. I think learning how to let go of the process once you put your stuff out there and not having these not really like feeling like something isn't great because it didn't perform X or do Y. I think that freedom to just make what you want to make and put it out there without this expectation and obligation on yourself and building has really something I want to get better at. And I've been working on a lot this year. That's awesome. That is, that is awesome. Um, and on that point, you know, of creating and, and working on things, one of the things people, always want to know and, and I'm very curious to know what your answer is um, um, what did you have to sacrifice to achieve the success you did you know there's a lot of upside to the you know working on a lot of things but has there been points where you think about man this is something I had to you know not prioritize or sacrifice to get to where I am today yeah well my, my parents would tell you it's the fact that uh, I haven't bought a house and I'm not married yet so <laughs> But, I could have I mean, seen that one coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look, you know, and I, I don't by no means do I mean that, like, people can't be artistic and own homes and be married. But, I mean, like, yeah, I think the thing is I've always prioritized time as the tantamount thing, as the preeminent thing. And it's being really aggressive with my time. And I'm really fortunate. I've grew up with a huge extended family, like most South Asian people do. I have incredible friends and stuff like that. But yeah, like I deferred certain things, like instead of doing what a lot of people were doing and rushing to pay down my student debt and buy a condo, right? I basically worked for a year and took that money and put it into a movie, right? Instead of like, you know, maybe exactly like finding a life partner right now and settling down and starting a family, like, I really spend every spare hour I can creating. And so it's not like, um, I think there are things there. I think that is a big thing is I think, you know, that the whole phrase, like you can have it all, but I don't think you can always have it all at the same time. And I yeah. think it's especially true for our generation when like the cost of education and the cost of, uh, buying a house and the cost of starting a business, the cost of starting a family and the cost of renting an apartment, you know, is just so obscenely higher than it was like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, you really do have to be willing to, I think, 
put certain things on hold, be willing to deal with some instability. I think I, I came from an opportunity where there was a lot of stability and I've learned to embrace some of the instability of constantly moving and creating new projects. And I think that's something that's not, that everyone doesn't love. And, and there's times when it's challenging for me as well. I don't try to, you know, I don't try and put a shiny coat on everything I do. A lot of the stuff is hard. A lot of stuff I've gotten wrong. Um, but I think giving myself the opportunity to keep going comes from being willing to just go after it every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- there's a, you know, my, my wife, she's an interior designer and she, you know, is in the arts and in the creative fields. And she constantly, we talk about how perception is different from reality <clears throat> and how per- people perceive what you do versus what you actually do is sometimes very different. So when people like your parents, right, they say, Arsalan, what do you do or what are you working on? What do you tell them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I guess for me, it's one of those, I mean, it's not just family because for me, it's one of those double edged things, right? Where people like, oh, why do you do? Like, it's like <laughs> the best. Oh my God. The comment I always get is like, I'm like, oh, well, like I'm an actor, and a writer and rapper. And then I also run a law practice. It's like, oh, why are you doing both things? It's like, uh, it's this thing. I don't know if you heard of it. It's called money. But (laughs) you know what I mean? It's just like this, this, this notion where people I think like can't accept that, um, you know, you can be working on things that I think for me, what I say to people is I'm building, right? Like I am building a body of work that is going to be here even when I'm not. And I hope that it connects with people. And that is my I would gladly invest in that any day because for me, that's what I think we need more of in our community. We need to see stories that reflect us. And for me, that's what gives me joy. Like that's what gives me a reason to get up in the morning. The notion that something that I have in my head can manifest itself into a real story. So I think I'm just like, look, these are the things I want to do. And because I did these other things like get a law degree and do all that stuff, I'm able to do them on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do them independently. And so I think when you, and I think that just goes for business in general. If you look at the artists who have the most clout when they do sign a deal or when they do, it's the artists who have created that following, that foundation, because they're able to do it on their own to some extent, right? They don't necessarily need anyone to let them be the artist they want to be. So now it's about collaborations and partnerships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's it's really that is that like I really am just building. I'm just trying to tell stories and make as many as I can. Get them all out of me. Yeah. And on that on that note, you know, you say that you like telling stories and get them out of you. What are some stories that are percolating in your mind that you just want to tell that are on the docket or something that you've been thinking about? Can you share some of the some of those stories that that you know, you are excited and, and just, just, you know, ready to share. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously as I tend to mention, I'm working on a lot of stuff. I know it can sound a bit dizzying. It can sound a little dizzying to myself as well, but, uh, I, I like it that way. Um, one of the projects is definitely going to be a longer term project, but yeah, like the, I wrote a pilot for a series called Gen Y, um, which essentially is kind of like loosely based on my, uh, just this transition. I think this, process of going from like a formalized professional life into like making a movie was just such an interesting journey to me because that narrative drove so many things in my life relationships with my family relationships with my religion relationships with my culture relationships with 
you know, partners and people who I was seeing and dating, like that narrative and that experience of like transitions, you know, is really fascinating to me. And I really wanted to explore that in a long form series because I really think that that's something that a lot of people are going through right now. And if they can connect with that story and see their own transitions and their own decisions about, you know, Gen Y, like why do we want to be that way? So that's a project that I wrote this year that we're still kind of working on shopping around to media funds and, and you know, uh, series and, and networks and stuff like that. Hopefully they'll get some traction there. And, um, I'm also working on a web series, like a comedy series called Entitled, sort of entitled the series, same name as the music. It's kind of going to be an um, interactive media project. But that's like really excited about it because it's like a short form comedy series. Like I've always been in love with shows like Seinfeld. It's one of my favorite shows, probably my favorite show growing up. It's just these pure comedic shows. And I want to create something in that vein for like basically millennial life, especially with the culture of Toronto around it. So, you know, things like getting up early, getting dressed for the gym and falling back asleep, like short form, <laughs> funny comment, Too stuff real. like that, you know, dating and life and relationships and trying to schedule time to see friends with kids. Like I really find that interesting. And I know it's stuff that's being explored by a lot of artists. And I kind of want to add a piece to that. And then I'm really excited about the direction of the music and I'm working towards dropping my first album next year. It's going to be called Millennial Act One. I'm hoping to make it a trilogy over time so yeah just a lot of projects and i think the stories that i'm really interested are telling are sort of these older millennial stories especially the first generation stories i think first generation kids have the ability to tell these incredible stories because like okay i'll give you an example i have some friends who have been dating for 10 years okay and they're both south asian they've been dating for 10 and not even some friends literally lots of friends like that yeah they've been dating for 10 years but when uh, they go to a wedding or something, they just introduce each other to their parents as uh, friends they know from school. And when it's time for them to actually want to go ahead and get married, like they'll just say it happened then that they haven't been dating for 10 years, right? Or people who have known each other for 10 years, and then they'll literally at, like tell their parents that somebody introduced them. I've had people be like, yo, can you tell my parents that you introduced us like a month ago, right? <laughs> Now, if you are, right, like a second, third generation American or Canadian, right, and, you know, like, you're maybe your family's European background, like, you're Caucasian, right, like, you're going to hear that and you're going to be like, yo, what are you talking yo, about? That's wow. How is that, e how is that even a reality? <laughs> but if you tell that to, like, a lot of first generation kids across the board, right, they'll be like, oh, pfft totally standard. I have three friends like that. I'm in that. So yeah, I think just things like that, like having that experience, those are the experiences and being able to translate being in those worlds. There's so much to tell. And like, we got to tell it, like we got to get behind our own communities. Like you're seeing people do it. They're killing it right now. And that's like just a start. Like we really got to get behind our community, not just our communities, like diverse communities in general, people of color, first generation storytellers, female storytellers, like this is the type of stuff that needs to find its way into all art forms, writing, at, like film, music, web series, you know, blogs, podcasts, you name it. The more you see of it, the better the content gets, the more people resonate with the stories. That That is, God, I, I fully 100% um, are behind that. And, you know, when you were talking about that, Arslan, I, um, you know, got that sense of pride, uh, you know, and when I saw the movie Black Panther, right, 
And then the amount of African American people who, who posted about it and say, like, this is our movie, you know, all black cast. This is something that we can get behind. And like, you just saw a, such a surge of people in that community support that, that film because of what it represented. Not because of, you know, of course it's a Marvel movie and has all that behind it, but just like what it represented. The similar thing happened when I saw Crazy Rich Asians. I don't know if you saw that movie, but you know, the amount of, Asian Americans, you know, South Asians, but, you know, predominantly East Asians who saw people that look like them, who was directed by them, who was just in that movie that just, I just found this wave of, of like support and like the sense of like, guys, there are people who look at me like me, that talk like me, who are in these kind of movies. It just was so inspiring. I, I just felt like this year has just been around those type of movies that have you seen people of, of color, people of diversity just, <laughs> crushing it and i think it's just i think a way that i think is going to continue yeah i think it's just cresting i mean like the thing is like riz Ahmed talks about that a lot like i'm a for representation not diversity he always talks about right and like yeah like it's crazy that we should still have these discussions and that we still need to continuously prove but we you're you, like you're seeing it that like when you create beautifully articulate representative stories where people feel reflected that matters it's not even like a mental thing it's like a it's like a deep in your heart type of feeling of joy where you want to support these projects because they're they're showing when people matter then you can't erase their identity and when they're represented you can't erase their identity and they become part of the culture they're not they don't stand apart from the culture you know like i was no spoilers for people but i was watching the new um netflix daredevil series and there's like a new south asian character guy in it and i thought that was so cool and then i was like looking at the screen i'm like you know when we get to that point where like this entire cast is super diverse and it's just like you don't even think about yep. it because there's yep. so many like that's when we're going to hit that critical mass we're not there yet but people are pushing they're making strives and i just happen to be part of that part of that wave like I, you know in my small part just pushing that's why i made on and off again at the end of the day I, I set out to do two things i wanted to sell a real honest authentic modern relationship story Yep. And I wanted to do it with characters who represented my experiences and look like me. And at the end of the day, when we get reached out to from fans all over the world, like Japan, I didn't even know people could watch in Japan, but Japan, like, <laughs> you know, Africa, like part, different parts of Africa, West Africa, like people reach out and they say, like, that's what I really liked. I, I felt represented. I felt the story was real and the representation was there. And that that's why I do it. It, it makes me want to get up and do more. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to our rapid fire questions just so we can get because you, uh, you know, you sent a lot of uh, answers and, and I think some of them are incredibly illuminating. And I want to start a little bit of what we talked about before because I think it relates is, you know, you talk about Riz Ahmed and, uh, you know, Hassan Minaj as people that you, you look up to, um, from a South Asian background. Can you talk about why those guys rise to the top of <clears throat> people who inspire you and, and, and tell us a little bit why? Uh, I've been one, I think, because he is so unafraid creatively, like he's willing to take on any project. Everyone, a lot of people know him as an actor, but a lot of people are starting to see him as both like uh, a rapper, which he's been doing for a long time. He's a really dope MC. You know, I loved his verse. And, you know, he was on the Hamilton mixtape, just like a lot of cool stuff. You know, he's not afraid to try stuff and and put himself in new positions. 
And then he's using his platform, like he's not hiding from it. You can see he's really grappling with this stuff in real time. How do I represent? How do I be the best artist I can be? And then also be willing to use this platform to talk about social issues, representation. Like he's not hiding from that. He He's a lot to put and put on his shoulders and he's rising to that challenge, which is amazing to watch. Just sort of this artist willing to take risks both in terms of their stances and in terms of their creative projects. Um, and I think for Hassan, like, for Hassan, I mean, like, one, he's hilarious, like, he's really put in the time and the work. And I think he does this real service to South Asian artists, which is being very open and honest about the challenges you go through with family and culture and identity when you're trying to set out on this path. Like, he doesn't sugarcoat it. And I think that a real service, like, talking about how, like, yeah, look, your family's probably not going to accept some of the things you do. They're yeah. not going to be in favor of it. They're not going to like the content or the culture. They're not going to find it goes with their values. They might still love you. That like dealing with that, and he did in Homecoming King, and he continues to do, continues to use his pul pulpit as South Asian artists. Those two are really inspiring me. Um, and like I just, and I think it's because of that they're pushing boundaries and trying new things, and then bringing their identity directly into their art. Yeah, I. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And one of the th other things I want to add is what I love about those two guys is not only they're exploring who they are through their art, but they're not afraid to say, this is who I am as I, as I, as I was growing up. You know, I am a South Asian, but I'm also, you know, uh, uh, from someone who's, uh, you know, American or someone who's British. Like, those are part of me. And I'm not shying away from either of those influences, but they, that's who I am. I'm an eclectic mix of those two. And, you know, because I've seen sometimes artists, uh, you know, who are ethnic or diverse kind of lean away from that part because they want to be more mainstream. But I'm, but they lose that side. Like, that's what makes them special. That's what makes them who they are. And I love that about you. It's like you're telling stories that you, you go through as, you know, from someone who's Canadian from Toronto, but also for someone who's Pakistani Canadian or someone who's South Asian, you combine those influences to, you know, from what you rap about to, to what you're telling stories about in your <coughs> acting and your, in your, in your shows. Um, and I have a, I have a funny story with Hassan Minaj. You know, I discovered this guy like a, a long time ago. I actually added him on Facebook when he wasn't a big guy <laughs> and like he accepted my request. And then when I, you know, be, he blew up and I'm like, whoa, I'm Facebook friends per, to his personal account. And, and I remember seeing <laughs> Homecoming King and I, and I sent him a direct message. I'm like, bro, great show. He never replied back, but it just was funny because I was like, I'm Facebook friends with you and I found you before you became who you are today. So that was yeah. a little check bark in, in my, in my head. Yeah, man. It's, 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 people keep going, right? Like, you know, our cult, you know, our culture might not be the most supportive about you when you're doing it, but they will celebrate you like you're seeing if you win. Right. So like, keep going. <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. No, that's, that's so true. Um, I also okay want to talk about the next question is um is there a movie or book that has the most oh. impact on you and can you tell us a little reason of why that movie or book hasn't had an impact on you uh yeah so a really good friend I mean I've, I've read a lot of books that I love but a really good friend of mine gave me a book called Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield and a lot of people will know him from his I think more talked about book, uh, the war of art. Um, but do the work is literally like this little guidebook for turning to whenever you get 
too afraid and like really the takeaway it's just a book it's like a manual on creativity it's just like go for it do these things it's really simple really honest really to the point and it really like the biggest takeaway for me is like the notion of start before you're ready like Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's this this notion of being ready that people hide behind. It's perfection. Like Brene Brown, who I mentioned before, talks about like this this desire to be perfect makes us afraid to start. And it's really just like an armor that we hard hide behind. So practice, do your research, have a plan. All that stuff is good. But at a certain point, you don't know what you don't know. So start, just start. Whatever it is you want to do, start. You want a podcast, start a podcast. You want to make videos, start a video. Like you want to act. Look, I never acted on screen before. That's the honest truth is on and off again, a feature film. That was my first film role ever. And I was literally like moving lights 30 seconds before we hopped in the scene, right? Because, yeah. and I didn't know everything at that time. I just started. I started and then people helped me on that journey because I kept putting in the work. Yeah. No, that is great, great piece of advice. Um, what other things would you suggest? You know, this interview, if people are listening, is chock full of great stuff. So I hope people have paid attention. But if you could distill down, if you see a South Asian, you know, 10 or 15 years your junior or, or even five years your junior who wants to break in into this multi-hyphenate, they want, they have so many creative passions and outlets that they want to explore. What advice would you give them? Uh, I would say, and I think this goes for creatives, but it especially goes for South Asian creatives because I think there's a real strong added sense of career pressure in our communities, which is natural and understandable. Um, you know, I have a lot of colleagues who maybe aren't first gen, aren't South Asian, who, you know, are working maybe in the service industry or bars or coffee shops and stuff. And their families are totally okay with that. They come from creative backgrounds. I think in our community, there's so much pressure on you to have a career quote, like capital C career that sometimes it can make finding time for your creativity, uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that, I think there's just something that really bothers me in the artistic community is the honest truth is for all, for most creatives, I'd say like 80%, but most of us are not at that point where we're doing this full time yet. The truth is the economics of the creative space across the board have never been more successful, like better for you if you're winning or, or more, you know, established full time and never been harder if you're just getting in the space. So I would say if you're South Asian, try and like fuse those identities a little bit to find a strategy that works for you. So like, you know, if you did go to business school, that's great. Like, why don't you start consulting so you have more time to go to auditions? Like, or, you know, or, you know, if you are like a developer and, you know, you did that in school, you have a hard skill, like do that and start writing a book on the weekends. Like you could, like, I think this whole notion that gets sold to artists that the only thing to do is to be a starving artist is a real disservice to artists because we pretend even though most artists spend the major- a lot of their time working in jobs completely unrelated to their art, we almost pretend like we erase that. So it's like, oh, you're a musician. Are you full-time in that yet? No. But does that mean your music doesn't matter? Do you know what I mean? Like, does that mm-hmm, mean your creative mm-hmm. process doesn't? No. So I think for South Asians is keep finding a way to create. I'm not saying that everyone has to follow the same path. Some people are going to go and do things in a completely different way than mine. That's what I love about the creative industry. But you need to find a sustainable path that works for you. You have to stay in the game. You have to envision that maybe you might take off right away. You might transition and it may take you another 10, 20 years. What do you have to do to make your life 
joyous enough that you can keep doing this. And I think like really push through, I'll say give yourself time to figure out and push through that insecurity because our communities, we love to celebrate right now the people who, are, who have won in these spaces, but I don't think whether it comes from a sense of insecurity or it comes from a feeling of wanting to do things ourselves, we don't really celebrate people who are doing the process as they go through. So just get that tough skin. Yeah, you want to write, your first little bit of writing's bad, people laugh at your YouTube videos, who cares? Because you'll get better if you keep doing more. Yeah, right. that's right. You got to be in the game. Take, be in the game. Take advice. Take advice, right? Take advice from people who are willing to help you get better and then just tune the rest out. Anyone who's trying to help you get better, if they care enough, listen, even if they don't agree with it. But anyone who just wants to tell you that things aren't possible, they probably haven't tried. So they don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. I would say incorporate the strengths of your South Asian background, the hard work ethic, maybe the priding on education so that you can get like a good side hustle. Like the truth is like, I said this before and I'll say it again, like I couldn't have made my own first feature film if I was working at a bar or Starbucks and I have nothing wrong with working in the service industry. I have nothing but respect for people who do that for years and hustle for auditions, but I couldn't have funded my own movie with that strategy. So I have a feature film now that's been seen by hundreds of thousands of people around the world because I took a different approach, a little bit outside the box thinking. So yeah. use that outside the box thinking that comes from being a first generation kid, from living across the world, and channel it towards building your art and your dreams. Man, I'm going to drop the mic after that one, man. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing a piece of advice and pieces of advice. And I hope people listening just really internalize that because just, uh, you know, one of the, my favorite quotes, and I've said this before on the podcast, but I just love it so much, is like writing or acting or creating or producing is about throwing sand in the sandbox, right? And at the beginning, it just looks like a bunch of sand, but you know, you got to wait for it to turn into a sandcastle at the end. And you don't know that while creating. So the first draft, the first anything is just like compiling all that sad in the sandbox so you have something to create with. And so um, I love that. Get in the game. Keep at it. Um, cool. What, where can, uh, where can people find you, Arsalan? Where, if, if people want to know more about you and, and, and get a little bit more sense of what you're producing and creating, where, where do you, where do you suggest people can go? So, I mean, on all the socials, uh, it's at Entitled Artist, and Entitled is with one E. So that's E-N-T-I-T-L-D Artist, IG, Facebook, you name it. Uh, and um, if you Google Arslan Shirazi, you'll get uh, Amazon on again, off again. It's on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon Prime. It's kind of everywhere now. But if you Google the movie on again, off again, so those are my socials, and then uh, www.entitled.art. That's my company site, and we kind of post all our projects and stuff that we have going on there. Perfect, perfect. And for everyone listening, I'll put that all in the show notes so people can get direct access. But Arslan, man, what a conversation. God, there's so many things in here that um, you know we could spend hours on, but... There's so much good stuff. I hope people watch the movie. I hope people follow you on all your on your socials, and you know, you know. I hope uh, you are the the touring act when Drake comes into town again, and people can see you. Perform. <laughs> I appreciate that. Look, man, I want to say thank you to you for you know like doing this work and and creating these platforms for artists, and you know what I mean. Like, I think people, I think I'll be able to get to say that you know one day. It's like, oh, yo, I did Samir's show before it had 25 million <laughs> listeners. 
and was the number one podcast. Uh, so, because like you said, the sandbox is one one grain at a time, right? And so I'm a big fan of what you're doing here, and I'm excited to continue following your show. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about this because I really think we need more artists in our community, and people are doing it. And I think if there's any lessons that I can pass along in my experience, which is full of ups and downs, um, I'm happy to share that because at the end of the day, I think all we want to do is reflect, tell stories. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Uh, well, signing off and uh, I hope to catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.